Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. and welcome to the Molson Coors Beverage Company first quarter fiscal year 2021 earnings conference call. You can find related slides on the investor relations page of the Molson Coors website. Our speakers today are Gavin Hattersley, President and Chief Executive Officer, and and Tracy Jobert, Chief Financial Officer. With that, I'll hand it over to Greg Tierney, Vice President of FP&A and Investor Relations. Thank you, Operator, and hello, everyone. The following prepared remarks from Gavin and Tracy will take your questions. Please limit yourself to one question, and if you have more than one question, please ask your, press, your most pressing question first, and then re-enter the queue to follow up. If you have technical questions on the quarter, please pick them up with the IR team in the days and the weeks that follow. And today's discussion includes forward-looking statements. Actual results or trends could differ materially from our forecasts. For more information, please refer to the risk factors discussed in our most recent filings with the SEC. We assume no obligation to update forward-looking statements. Gap reconciliations for any non-U.S. gap measures are included in our news release or otherwise available on our website. And also, unless otherwise indicated, all financial results the company discusses are versus the comparable prior year period and in U.S. dollars. So with that, over to you, Gavin. Thank you, Greg, and thank you all for joining us today. Let me start by stating the obvious. The first quarter was not the quarter we expected to have. That reality was driven by three events, cybersecurity incident that caused a global system outage, a freak winter storm in Texas that forced utility companies to shut off power to major businesses, including our Fort Worth brewery, and government pandemic restrictions that shut down the entire on-premise channel in the UK and severely restricted much of the on-premise in Canada. To say that all of these events happening in a single quarter is unprecedented would be an understatement. But while we can't control the weather, across the business we executed well on what was in our control. That's true of how we responded to each event. Our team quickly implemented contingency plans to boost production and get our core brands back to a stable inventory before Memorial Day. Right now we are shipping over 1 million barrels a week in the United States for the first time in nearly a year. But most importantly, it's true of how we are executing on our revitalization plan. During the first quarter, Coors Light and Miller Light outperformed the combination of Bud Light and Michelob Ultra in U.S. industry share performance versus the prior year, according to IRR. Our U.S. above premium portfolio grew brand volumes versus the prior year and continued to gain industry share, according to IRR, and we took substantial steps towards our hard shelf for ambition. Our trust joint ventures, non-alcoholic cannabis beverages, are holding strong as the number one dollar share spot in the entire Canadian cannabis beverage market. As expected, the availability of our 12-ounce standard cans returned to normal levels. And we continued working to protect the environment through two significant initiatives in the United Kingdom. So let's look deeper at each area. That starts with our core, where we continue to see improving brand volume trends for Coors Light and Miller Light in North America over the past quarter, dovetailing off strong performance in 2020. But the performance is even more impressive when you look at our biggest brand and our biggest family of brands. Coors Light finished the quarter with its strongest category share performance since Q1 of 2017. And Coors Banquet posted its best quarterly volume performance in over four years in the United States. We're building on that strong performance in the Coors family of brands with the launch of Coors Pure in March, our first USDA certified organic beer brand. And we had a strong Q1 in Panama with over a 50% increase in brand volumes, with Coors Light's explosive triple-digit growth leading the way. Now, when it comes to our plans to aggressively grow our above-premium portfolio, 
As you know, we have big ambitions for hard seltzers this year. And the first quarter was a big one. And as we sit here today, our share of the U.S. hard seltzer segment is over 50% higher than it was at the beginning of the year. In a single week, Topa Chica hard seltzer jumped to a 3.2 share of the U.S. hard seltzer category, despite only launching in 16 markets, and it achieved a 20 share in Texas. Now, I know it's early days, but that is a stunning fact that speaks to the opportunity with this brand. And it's not alone in our portfolio. Vizzy was its our top 10 U.S. industry growth brand in Q1. We are building on that with the brand's second variety pack, which launched in March, and the new Vizzy Lemonade, which launched several weeks later. They are both performing well. And in fact, Vizzy Lemonade is the second fastest turning hard lemonade seltzer in the market. We made significant headway with our hard seltzers in Canada and in Europe as well. After just over a month in market, Vizzy and Coors Seltzer are top five hard seltzer brands for some of the leading Canadian retailers. In the UK, our new threefold hard seltzer brand is launched, while our new brand Way in Central and Eastern Europe is launching in the coming weeks. In above premium beers, Blue Moon Life Sky, the number one new item in US beer last year, is currently the number one share gainer in US craft beer in 2021. And Hop Valley has made its official national debut in the US and Canada. It's our first national IPA in the US, and we believe it will be another driver of growth for our above premium portfolio. When it comes to our plans to expand beyond beer, Last year, we made a lot of news as we took on a number of partnerships to build a competitive portfolio. This year, it's all about executing on those plans. ZOA gives us a strong entry into the $16 billion U.S. energy and performance space and is positioned to take a meaningful share of the category within a matter of months. It's just now beginning to hit shelves. But by Memorial Day, we expect ZOA will have over 80,000 points of distribution and by the end of summer, that number is expected to climb to nearly 150,000. Bacalum gives us the number one above premium player in the RTD coffee space, and I'm excited to report that we are ahead of plan on all of our distribution targets. Plus Canada, our Canadian cannabis joint venture with Hexa, is holding strong as the number one dollar share position with six of the top ten cannabis beverage SKUs in Canada. And our Trust USA joint venture is building on that through their first lineup of hemp-derived CBD beverages in Colorado. And we have now entered the fast-growing RTD cocktail space through an exclusive equity and distribution agreement with Superbird, an above-premium tequila-based Paloma. This entire lineup represents tremendous growth for our business and is helping us drive our emerging growth division towards a $1 billion revenue business by 2023. Last but certainly not least is how we are investing in our capabilities, our people, and our communities. We have long been recognized as a leader for our environmental efforts. And several weeks ago, we became the first major UK brewer to operate entirely by renewable energy. Soon, every one of the one billion pints of beer we produce annually in the UK will be made with 100% renewable energy. And we didn't stop there. We are removing plastic rings from all of our major cracks across the, U the UK. In the US this month, we announced our investment in True Colors, a North Carolina-based brewery that was founded on the premise that aligning rival gang members under the same roof with a common goal can both mitigate street violence and create economic opportunity. We're excited to share our knowledge on brewing, brand positioning, and supplier relationships. And we are excited to be part of a business that is driving positive change and creating economic opportunity. Now, I can assure you the events of this quarter are not lost on any of us. But as the quarter came to a close, there is land on the horizon. The on-trend gradually began to open back up in the UK. Our industry standard can inventory normalized, and our weekly shipments in the US topped 1 million barrels for the first time in nearly a year. We are making progress on the things that are within our control, and we are delivering against our revitalization plan. And that is what gives me the confidence to reaffirm our guidance for the full year. That is what gives me confidence in the current expectation that the board will be in a position to reinstate a dividend in the second half of this year. That is what gives me confidence that we'll achieve long-term top-line growth. 
And that is what tells me the future of Molson Coors is bright. Tracy? Thank you, Gavin, and hello, everyone. Despite the challenges Gavin mentioned, we are proud of our operational agility and resilience as we adeptly manage through these challenges while still continuing to execute our revitalization plan. Now, let me take you through our quarterly results and provide an update on our outlook. Consolidated net sales revenue decreased 11.1% in constant currency, principally due to lower financial volumes, which declined 12%, while brand volumes declined 9.1%. We delivered net pricing growth in North America and Europe, as well as positive brand mix in the US as we continue to premiumize our portfolio. However, this is more than offset by the on-premise restrictions due to the coronavirus pandemic and the corresponding negative channel mix, as well as the unfavorable shipment timing in the U.S. related to the cybersecurity incident and the Texas winter storms. Net sales per hectoliter on a brand volume basis increased 1.8% in constant currency as the net pricing growth more than offset the negative mix effects in Canada and Europe. Underlying COGS per hectoliter increased 5.6% on a constant currency basis, driven by cost inflation and volume deleverage, partially offset by cost savings. Driving cost inflation was higher transportation costs due to the continued tightening of the freight market in North America, as well as higher can sourcing costs as we continue to source additional aluminum cans from all over the world to address the significant off-premise demand for our core brands. MG&A in the quarter decreased 15.9% on a constant currency basis, driven by lower marketing spend and discretionary expenses, as well as cost savings. While the timing of our marketing investments was adjusted in areas impacted by the pandemic, we continue to invest as planned behind our core brands and key innovations. As a result, underlying EBITDA decreased 20.2% on a constant currency basis. Underlying free cash flow was a use of $271 million for the quarter, an increase in cash use of $54 million from the prior year period, driven by lower underlying EBITDA and unfavorable working capital, driven by the timing of payments related to lower volumes prior year non-income tax deferrals due to governmental programs related to the coronavirus pandemic and incentive payments, partially offset by lower CapEx spend. Capital expenditures paid were $103 million for the quarter, which were largely focused on our previously announced Golden Brewery modernization project. Capital expenditures were lower in the quarter compared to the prior year, primarily due to project timing. Now let's look at our results by business unit. In North America, our markets experienced varying degrees of on-premise restrictions. In the US, our largest market, we saw progressive reopenings, and while there has been sequential improvement in the on-premise channel, we are still not back to pre-pandemic levels. In Canada, we saw significant restrictions and closures, while in Latin America, we saw restrictions easing. North American net sales revenue was down 6.3% in constant currency due to financial volume declines of 9.4%, reflecting lower brand volume due to the on-premise restrictions and cycling the March pantry loading in the prior year, as well as unfavorable shipment timing in the U.S. In the U.S., brand volume decreased 7.3% compared to domestic shipment declines of 9.5%, driven by the economy and premium segments. However, our U.S. above premium brand volumes grew versus the prior year, and the segment reached a record high portion of our portfolio relative to any prior year first quarter since the creation of the Miller-Cruz joint venture. Canada brand volumes declined 10.8%, primarily due to the on-premise closures, while Latin America brand volumes grew 10.8%. Net sales per hectoliter on a brand volume basis increased 2.4% in constant currency. In the U.S., net sales per hectoliter on a brand volume basis increased 4.1%, primarily due to the 
driven by positive brand mix led by innovation brands Busy, Topachico Hard Salsa and Zoa. In Canada, negative channel mix more than offsets the net pricing increases, while Latin American net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis increased due to positive sales mix. North America underlying EBITDA decreased 13.3% in constant currency due to the lower net sales revenue and higher COGS per hectolitre, partially offset by a 14.4% decrease in MG&A in constant currency. The increase in COGS per hectolitre was driven primarily by inflation, including higher transportation and packaging material costs, volume deleverage and mixed impacts from premiumization partially offset by cost savings. The MG&A decline was mainly due to lower marketing spend and discretionary expenses, as well as cost savings. We increased marketing investment behind core innovation brands, such as Queer Salsa, Busy, and Blue Moon Light Sky, and we increased media spending behind our iconic core brands, Queer's Light and Miller Light. These increases were more than offset by lower spend in areas impacted by the pandemic, such as, as sports and live entertainment events. Europe net sales revenue was down 39.5% in constant currency, driven by volume declines and negative geographic and channel mix due to on-premise restrictions, most meaningfully in the UK, given the on-premise lockdown for the full quarter. Europe financial volumes decreased 22% and brand volumes decreased 17%, driven by a significant decline in brand volumes in the UK. However, our Central and Eastern European business has performed fairly well and was able to deliver comparable volumes versus the prior year period. Net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis declined 10.4%, driven by unfavourable geographic channel and brand mix particularly from our higher-margin, on-premise-focused UK business, partially offset by positive pricing. Underlying EBITDA was a loss of $38 million, compared to a loss of $4.1 million in the prior year, driven by gross margin impact of lower volumes and unfavorable geographic and channel mix as a result of the pandemic, partially offset by lower MG&A expenses, driven by cost mitigation actions. Turning to the balance sheet, net debt was $7.7 billion, down $1.1 billion from March 31, 2020. And we ended the first quarter with a strong borrowing capacity, with no outstanding balance on our $1.5 billion U.S. credit facility as of March 31, 2021. As for our U.K. COVID corporate financing facility, it was closed on March 23, 2021, and we had no outstanding borrowings at that time. Turning to our financial outlook, we are reaffirming our 2021 annual guidance provided on February 11, 2021. We expect to deliver mid-single-digit net sales revenue growth on a constant currency basis. We are working aggressively to build inventories and expect domestic shipment trends in the U.S. to begin to exceed brand volume in the second half of the year. For the year, we maintain our current year goal of shipping to consumption in the U.S. In the U.S., we expect improving on-premise trends in the second quarter as we lack essentially full closures in the prior year. While in Canada, we have seen increasing on-premise restrictions continuing to pressure the on-premise channel. In Europe, we've seen a gradual opening of the U.K. on-premise beginning in mid-April to outdoor consumption only, and we expect further phased on-premise reopenings later in the second quarter, resulting in year-on-year -year improvement versus the prior period. We anticipate underlying EBITDA will be flat compared to 2020 as growth is expected to be offset by COGS inflationary headwinds, but more significantly from increased investment to deliver against our revitalization plan. We intend to increase marketing spend to build on the strength of our core brands and support our successful 2020 launches, including Blue Moon Light Sky, Vizzy and Coors Salsa, and new innovations like Sopa Chico, Hard Salsa and Zoa. With this in mind, we expect significant year-on-year -year increases in marketing spend over the balance of the year, and most notably in the second quarter. We expect second quarter marketing spend to be higher than the second quarter 2020 levels and to approach second quarter 2019 levels. 
We also continue to anticipate underlying depreciation and amortization of $800 million, net interest expense of $270 million plus or minus 5%, and an effective tax rate in the range of 20 to 23%. It also bears reminding that in our 2020, that in 2020 our working capital benefited from the deferral of approximately $150 million in tax payment from various government-sponsored payment deferral programs related to the coronavirus pandemic, of which we currently anticipate the majority to be paid this year as they become due. Our efforts in 2020 positioned us with greatly improved financial flexibility better enabling us to execute our capital allocation priorities, to invest in our business to drive top-line growth and efficiencies, pay down debt, and return cash to shareholders in 2021. We plan to continue to prudently invest in brewery modernization and production capacity and capabilities to support new innovations and growth initiatives, improve efficiencies, and advance towards our sustainability goals. Driven by a commitment to maintaining and, in time, upgrading our investment grade rating, we expect to continue to pay down debt and reaffirm our target net debt to underlying EBITDA ratio of approximately 3.25 times by the end of 2021 and below three times by the end of 2022. And in line with our fourth quarter 2020 earnings comments, we currently anticipate that our board of directors will be in a position to reinstate a dividend in the second half of this year. Now, we are pleased with our ability to adapt and overcome despite the incredible challenges we faced in the first quarter. Our continued progress against our revitalization plan, the agility of our organization in the face of challenges, and the commitment and resilience of our people give us the confidence we can continue to successfully ex execute our revitalization plan, driving long-term sustainable revenue and underlying EBITDA growth. And we look forward to updating you on our continued progress. So with that, we look forward to taking your questions. Debbie? We will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. At this time, we will pause momentarily to assemble our roster. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Our first question comes from Vivian Azer with Cowan. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you very much. Um, Gavin, you called out the, the reopenings in the, in the UK. Um, it sounds like um, Ireland made some announcements um, in addition this morning about outdoor. So that's certainly encouraging given um, how much exposure you have um, to the UK market. As, as we look at the, the comps, you know, the shape of the year is, is clearly going to be lumpy. But you know, in order to, to kind of solidly get that business, you know, into growth, you know, considering the, the year-over-year compares on a full-year basis for COVID. Do you need full indoor reopenings, or do you think just, you know, outdoor, if outdoor can hold, that's enough to get you guys to, to positive volumes um, for the year? Thanks. Good morning, Vivian. Um, thank you. Yes, look, um, as you rightly say, uh, the UK did open um, on April the 12th, I think it was, for um, outdoor uh, dining at pubs and uh, restaurants, we've seen about 30 to 40 percent of the of the um, of, of the establishments uh, reopen. 
And, you know, our volume in those establishments is, or for the UK is up double digits um, in, the, in the sort of first few weeks of, um, of April. Um, I think the next step is on May the 17th when indoors opens uh, completely and then we have June the 22nd, uh, well, there'll be a full reopen. So, you know, so far, um, just a few weeks into the burn, it's, it's actually been uh, pretty, po pretty positive, Vivian. Thanks. David? Yes. The next question is from Bill Kirk with MKM Partners. Hey, thanks for taking the question. Um, I, I have a follow-up on Topo Chico hard seltzer. Uh, it, it seems that after the sell-in um, that the shelves have been a little slow to replenish. Um, so I guess the question is, are, are you or, or contract partners having any difficulty keeping up with demand? And if so, how does that impact your decision on how geographically broad to offer the product? Thanks, Bill. Good morning. Uh, yes, you're right. I mean, we had a spectacular launch of, um, of Zoe. Got to a, almost a, a not Zoe, sorry, Topo Chico. Um, we got to almost a 20 uh, share in, um, in, uh, in, in Texas, and, and you know, we, we got to pretty close to a seven share of the overall salsa market in its, in its first uh, week. Um, of, of performance, um, and as you rightly point out, we've had very strong reorders of, um, of Topo Chico. Uh, we're working with Coke um, to increase our supply of, um, of, of Topo Chico, and I think it will be, you know, it will be a little constrained uh, as, as, as we meet the, I mean, the huge unexpected demand uh, for that uh, for that brand. But you know, as the as the uh, the weeks uh, progress, I think you'll see progressively those. Uh, those shelf spaces uh, being filled. I think it was the right decision for us to go to, you know, uh, the limited number of markets uh, that we that we did, and and uh, we won't be expanding that until we're we're, we're quite com comfortable that we can meet um, the substantial demand that we've that we've had in its existing markets. Thanks, Gavin. The next question comes from Lawrence Grande with Guggenheim. Please go ahead. Yeah, so uh, a quick one to start with about the uh, Topo Chico phenomenon, and just a photo from from this one. I'm not sure I understand um, how Coke can help here. I mean, uh, is it because you you don't have enough? I mean, uh, uh, flavoring and, the, and nutrients, kind of the concentrate, or are you is Coke helping you in terms of uh, finding capacity to manufacture it? I thought it was all manufacturers from the contract manufacturers, so. Help me understand here and, uh, the role Coke is playing in uh, in fulfilling the, uh, the, the the capacity. And uh, my second question is more for for Tracy. It's, uh, what makes you believe that the the board would be willing to uh, to increase the dividend in the second half? And what are the KPIs I mean, uh, that uh, that they are they are looking for and that, that we should pay attention to? Thanks, Lauren. Look, it was always our intention with uh, Topo Chico that we would take over the relationship uh, which, and supply chain which uh, Coca-Cola had, had, had established ahead of us um, entering into our agreement uh, with Coca-Cola. And so we work closely with Coca-Cola um, and the, uh, the third-party uh, contractors. Um, I think we've said in the past that it's our intent to sort of keep that relationship um, at, at least until the, till the end of the year. I mean, we certainly have enough uh, seltzer um, capacity in our in our Fort Worth uh, brewery, given the you know the 400% increase that we that we uh, made uh, towards the end of, of of last year. So that's the role Coke played. The original relationship was between Coke and the third party, and we just worked closely with Coke and the third party. Trey? Yeah. Yes, so um, hi, Lorraine. So uh, just in terms of you know our, our confidence um, around our guidance. So we did reaffirm the guidance uh, as we said. Um, you know, the, the actions that we took in 2020 greatly improved our financial flexibility, um, which better enabled us to, to execute against our capital allocation priorities, um, you know, including investing behind our brands and our business to grow top line, um, to grow our top line, to, to pay down our debt. And as we've said, we've, we've paid down $1.1 billion since March of 2020. Um, and so, you, you know, the, the next... Um, 
lever is to return cash to our shareholders. And, um, you know, as you said, consistent with our Q4 2020 earnings comments, we do currently anticipate that our board will be in a position to reinstate the dividend in the second half of the year. Um, and, you know, we, we are having those discussions with them um, as to when and, and how um, we will reinstate that dividend. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you. The next question is from Andrea Tewera with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you. Um, so I just want to follow up on um, first on the um, MGNA the ability to control, and you had an impressive reduction in, in the leverage pool for the end of the year to keep your uh, FX neutral um, EBITDA flat. So I wonder if uh, how how long and how many leverage you can pull in order to fund the additional um, marketing spend uh, and still nevertheless have continued this reduction uh, in um, in basically everything else. I'm assuming T&E uh, and all the other synergies that you have been pulling. So if you can help us kind of bridge that gap, uh, I guess that's the question for Tracy. And then also on a follow-up for the dividend, Instead, the way we should be thinking is that as you go into the second quarter and you basically go through this plan, you're waiting, the board is waiting to see if you don't need to revise anything by the second quarter in order to instate the dividend. Is that the way um, we should be thinking here? I'll tell you what, Andrea, I'll, I'll take uh, the marketing side of your question and then Trace, if you can handle the G&A and the, and the dividend side of, of Andrea's question. Um, Thanks, so you know, our, our revitalization plan, uh, one of its core tenants was that we were going to spend more money behind our core brands, uh, uh, behind our above premium um, brands, and also to, uh, you know, extend beyond the bureau uh, with, with, a, with above premium. Um, in the first quarter, we actually did increase our spend behind our innovations, and uh, we also increased the spend uh, behind media on our core brands. Um, in, in fact, we didn't make any adjustments to our marketing plan in, in, in Q1 as a result of the cybersecurity incident or the Texas, Texas storm. We, you know, we spent what we were planning to spend, uh, particularly behind, as I said, our core brands and our innovations. Uh, we didn't plan to spend a lot of money in Europe because of the on-premise closures, and, and, and we certainly didn't spend any money, as Tracy said in her opening remarks, on, on live sports or live concerts in the USA or Canada because there weren't any. Um, uh, we do expect a substantial increase in marketing, um, particularly in Q2, um, returning pretty close to the 2019 levels as we as we fuel the tremendous momentum that we've got behind um, brands like Busy, uh, Topo Chico, um, our core brands of Miller Lite and Coors Light, and obviously as as Europe starts to to reopen, we'll we'll be increasing our marketing spend in Europe in in Q2 and beyond as well. Trace, do you want to take G&A and then the dividend? Yeah. So. Um Andrea, from a from a GNA point of view, um, you, you know, obviously there are things like T and E, um, you know, that we're just not spending behind um, with with the restrictions in travel, um, and you know, other targeted cost savings. Um, for example, in the UK, we we you know the on premise was was locked down um, for the entire quarter. There, there were obviously you know savings related to that as well from a GNA point of view. I also want to remind you that um, we do have the cost savings program that we announced um, last year, uh, $600 million over three years. Um, in 2020, we achieved $270 million of that $600, and um, we expect to achieve um, in, in sort of roughly in equal portions the balance in 2021 and 2022. Um, so there is the cost savings, um, which we you know, continuing to track very well against um, that will provide, you know, some relief um, and and enable us to carry on with our revitalization plan and, and invest behind our brands to grow that, that top line. As it relates to um, the board, um, as I said, we are, go we are having um, conversations with the board. We, we are assessing exactly when and how um, we will be um, or we will be recommending to the board to reinstate the dividend. So um, I can't say much more than that, but, but more to come. Thank you. Pass it on. The next question is from Chris Carey with Wells Fargo Security. Please go ahead. Hi, everyone. Um, uh, I guess I'm, I'm just trying to understand a little bit um, 
you know, how this year is is going to play out, just, just given what you have kind of mentioned, which I think basically is, you know, shipments will exceed depletions, but not until the back half of the year. So that's really where the inventory replenishment starts, so Q2 more in line with consumption, so maybe not, you know, getting back all the volume that you lost during the incidents in Q1 in the quarter, uh, in Q2 that is. Um, and then you have, um, you know, expectations for uh, marketing spending. I'll just use MGNA as a proxy um, in, in Q2 being up year over year and sort of in line with uh, 2019 levels or a little bit below. I think that's what I heard. And, and I guess if I'm putting all that together, um, I mean, you could see something like, I don't know, MGNA up 500 basis points in North America, for example, and EBITDA implied um, up you know, kind of double digits in the back half of the year to get to the flat EBITDA. And, and I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers out there, but but the general concept here is that um, uh, Q2, a slow recovery, if you have the, you know, significantly accelerated spend, what happens if the recovery is a little bit slower? Do you pull back on that? And then just confirming this dynamic that it seems like to get to the flat EBITDA, it, it's really about, you know, just delivery in the back half of the year, apologies for, you know, more of a, a financial question, but, um, you know, if, uh, if that kind of makes sense, um, you know, I appreciate any perspective on that. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Okay. There's a lot in that question, right? So, I mean, obviously, um, we're not going to give uh, quarterly, uh, guidance, um, you know, the numbers, the guidance that Tracy has given you are the, are, are the, are for the full year and we'll, and we'll let that, that stand on, um, by themselves. You know, from a recovery point of view, um, you know, we've, we, we pretty quickly put a plan in place. Uh, we're prioritizing our core brands um, of Coors Light, Miller Light, Coors Banquet, Blue Moon, Miller High Life, Keystone Light, and, and Lineik Kugel's uh, Summer Shandy. So that's our primary focus at the at the moment. We've discontinued or deprioritized uh, slower moving brands and, and packs. Most of that is in the economy space, uh, but also uh, um, some cider. Um, now. The, the plan is designed to make sure that we that we recover our our, our, our core brands um, to be in a much better place by Memorial Day, and uh, you know ultimately for uh, for uh, Europe. Um, the seltzers and the innovation supply, uh, frankly, wasn't affected by the cybersecurity incident at 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 all. Um, you know, can suppliers return back to normal? Um, we're producing 12-ounce bottles, room and pints, kegs at, at full capacity. So, you know, the, I, I guess to try and get a little bit closer to your to your question, obviously, um, with us really only focusing um, on the core brands, that that will imply that 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 you know the slower moving and some of the deprioritized brands will only really be picked up in the second half of the of the year from a from a, a volume uh, perspective. From a marketing spend perspective, you know we've got a lot of um, momentum behind some some really exciting um, innovations which have which have landed well, um, and uh, we'll be we'll be fueling those. And you know, Coors Lights and Miller Lights performance, as I said in my opening remarks, is is strong. Uh, campaigns are working, and uh, we'll be putting the necessary firepower behind uh, those those two brands. Did you want to add anything, Trace? No, I think you covered it. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for the perspective. Thank you. The next question is from Steve Powers with Deutsche Bank. Please go ahead. Yes, thank you. And I guess, can we um, maybe hone in on the impacts of the, the February storms and the, the cybersecurity event um, in a bit more detail and just how you size those impacts in the first quarter? You know, in the final analysis, what, what amount of those impacts represent effectively lost sales versus volume you expect to recoup over the balance of the year, as you just described in response to Chris's question. Um, just just understanding that dynamic in a bit more detail would be, would be great. And maybe as part of that, if you could just characterize how thin uh, U.S. channel inventories were exiting March relative to consumer demand run rates. Um, and just, you know, and, and what we're trying to, what I'm really trying to figure out is just, you know, what the, what the catch-up is uh, now that I, I presume you're shipping to full capacity as we sit here end of April. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Um, let me see. So, you know, towards the end of March, we did file an OK, which, which laid out what we thought was going to be the impact of the cybersecurity attack. Uh, memory serves me correctly. We said 1.8 to 2 million hectoliters and 
you know, a shift of, of EBITDA of about 120 to 140 million dollars. Um, now, I, w- I would tell you that the recovery plan, our supply chain teams just did a tremendous job in those in sort of back end of, of, of March. So, you know, I would say by the end of March, we were a couple of hundred thousand barrels ahead of where we were expecting uh, to be. So I think, um, you know, you can assume that the impact was a was a little bit less than what we what we'd said in our in our in our 8 8k and you know as we sit here today I think it's the 29th of April we're, we've we've continued to 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 meet the recovery plan and in fact exceeded a little bit so you know I think our our, our, our breweries are, are well on track with that with that recovery plan um, we have seen sequential improvement in um, our core brands uh, inventory but we're not where we want to be just yet um, you know we expect to be uh, much closer to where we, we want to be with those brands uh, by, by Memorial Day, and then and then you know fully recovered on core brands towards um, in the sort of back end of of, of the uh, of the second quarter, and then we can focus in on those brands that uh, we have um, paused um, beyond that. I think um, that's about as far as I'm going to go on the on on the impacts, uh, Steve. Okay, fair enough. Was there just maybe on just on the February storms? Was there a material net impact there, or was that more, you know, a, a delay intra-quarter, and the, the real kind of carryover effect is the cybersecurity event? You know, Texas hurt because, you know, the Texas brewery was closed for almost 11 days. Um, you know, the government just shut the power down on us, and, and, and um, you know, it obviously has knock-on impacts because there are some of our input material suppliers in Texas as well, so... You know, it did have an impact uh, further up the eastern seaboard as as, as well. So, um, I would say certainly um, it did impact and was part of the 1.8 to 2 million um, hectoliters which which we announced. Uh, the lion's share was obviously the cybersecurity incident, but uh, the Fort Worth uh, shutdown was not immaterial. Understood. Thank you very much. The next question comes from Kevin Grundy with Jeffries. Please go ahead. Great, thanks. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, Gavin, a, a few related questions, if I could, on, on the market share progress that you called out on, on Coors Light, and, and of course, this has been a priority uh, for the company. Um, so, three, three related questions, if I could. One, if you could just spend a moment talking about the strategic shifts around marketing and positioning of the brand, given some of the pressures on the light beer segment. Two, what, what your growth expectations are for light beer broadly, sort of coming out of the pandemic here. And then lastly, just how you think about maximizing incrementality to the overall portfolio as you lean in on a, a multi-brand seltzer strategy, given that light beers have, have been a source of demand for, for seltzer. So your comments there would be helpful. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Okay, a lot going on there. Let me try, try, and, um, let me try and knock them off. So I'll, I'll start with your final point, right, which is, which is actually, um, you know, more than half of the of the of the seltzer growth is actually coming from outside of the beer category. Um, you know, we've 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 tested that number multiple times over the last year, and it's and it's pretty consistent. So, you know, obviously uh, premium lights are losing uh, some elements to um, to seltzers, but it it, it it certainly is coming from um, other places, including uh, craft and and ironically um, economy. Uh, less so actually premium lights, which which uh, may surprise you, but it's what the data says. Um, we have seen uh, continued positive trends for Coors Light and Miller Light over the, over the past uh, quarter, um, dovetailing off the strong performance which we had in, 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 in 2020. And, you know, the focus that we're placing on the health of our core brands is, is paying off, um, specifically our ambitions to connect with, 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 with new drinkers and giving them a real reason to reach for for um, Miller Lite and Coors Light and brave, kind of break through that big beer advertising clutter with, uh, with, with fresh creative approaches. And we're seeing the benefits of it. You know, for example, in Coors Light, we're up significantly in key brand um, health uh, metrics like consideration and like, you know, household present, uh, penetration, positive impressions amongst 21 to, to, to 34 year olds, which is a, which is a key target uh, market for us. And, and, you know, so far in 2021, we'll see an increase in both consideration and positive impression. Um, you know, I can go on in, in, in quite some more detail on, on, on how the, um, you know, the Coors Light campaign has, has turned a corner since the, since the 2019 launch of, 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 of Made to, Made to Chill. The brand's grown segment share in premium lights 
every quarter since we had that launch. We've cut our share loss in the total category by, by more than uh, more than 20, uh, more than 70 percent, I think it was. Um, Quizlight's continuing to establish itself as the as the brand consumers buy when they when they're ready to to, to chill. So the campaign um, for Quizlight is resonating strongly with with our core market, but also our growth targets. Um, for example, the, the the Latino drinker. So. You know, our revitalization strategy required us to in, um, to um, invest uh, behind our core brands, and we're, and we're doing exactly that. And we are seeing the the benefits of it um, from a from a share point of view. I think I, I gave you some of the stats in our in our opening in our opening remarks. I don't know if I mentioned that above premium is also gaining um, industry share. Uh, Blue Moon Life Sky is doing uh, particularly well, and. And you know, I haven't talked much about about uh, Vizzy, but you know, we think we've got a real winner with with uh, with Vizzy. It's achieved you know almost a three percent share in in 2020 with only one SKU, um, and that SKU moved faster in Q1 than all Bud Light sells the variety packs uh, put together. Um, we're expanding our footprint with new packs. We've got a second variety pack, um, the lemonade pack, and we've got a third new variant launching in in summer. Um, our variety pack number two is already turning faster than our variety pack number one. And, you know, Vizzy Lemonade is the second fastest turning lemonade um, seltzer in the market. Vizzy actually had a record sales week um, um, last week. So, you know, you gave me a lot of questions. I've tried to give you a lot of answers and give you a little bit of color. I hope that helps, uh, Kevin. No, Gavin, that, that's fantastic. So uh, congrats on the quarter and, uh, and then good luck here. The next question is from Brian Spilland from BOA. Please go ahead. Hey, uh, thanks, operator. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Gavin, I had a question about on-premise in, in, in North America, and I guess more specifically specifically the U.S. Um, as on-premise reopens, um, how different do you think it might look, you know, going forward, given seltzers a much bigger portion of the category and growing today? Um, you know, some accounts may be looking for, you know, ways to have reduced touches, you know, um, you know, kind of on a, on a sanitizing type, you know, uh, thought or, or, you know, just thinking about sanitation. Um, so I guess I'm just kind of think this could on-premise potentially look different in the future than it did pre-COVID. And if so, does that create any opportunities for, for uh, Molson Coors to, to gain some share in on-premise? Yes, I think the answer to both of your questions, Brian, is 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 yes. You know, during the pandemic, we we certainly saw an increased demand for large trusted brands, and um, you know that's that's particularly true in the on-premise, as you as 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 your question is is directed at. Uh, we also saw it in the off-premise, but it's particularly true in the on-premise, where you know on-premise owners are sticking to to fewer, faster-moving uh, brands, and that obviously benefits brands like Miller Lite and, and Coors Light. Um, it also helps us from a you know from a Blue Moon um, point of view as well. I mean, it's, Blue Moon is is the largest craft brand as you know, and it's disproportionately focused on the on the on-premise. So you know, uh, the reopening of the on-premise um, and the move to large trusted brands is is helping us particularly uh, with Miller Lite, Coors Light, and um, and Blue Moon. And we've seen a, a tick up a um, couple of points in our in our share in the in the on-premise as as the on-premises has reopened. You, you referenced um, seltzers on-premise, on and, you know, certainly in, in, in packaged form, I think that that is absolutely right. I mean, we're in, we've, we've actually had triple-digit growth in our, in our placements uh, this year, and, you know, our retailers are reaching out to us, uh, asking for, for, for uh, Topa Chica as quickly as possible, given its uh, spectacular um, launch and the demand that's been created by that. Uh, distribution of seltzers and uh, velocity for us in the in the on-premise is is actually increasing, and it's going to give us a real opportunity to um, do large-scale sampling opportunities, uh, particularly through our through our, our alliances, because we know we've got great tasting uh, products when we get consumers to to, um, to 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 try them, they're sold, and that that also um, you know applies to uh, innovation like um, Blue Moon Light Sky. Uh, we're launching uh, two draft seltzers on a on a regional basis through our craft companies, and we'll we'll see how that plays out. But certainly, we're seeing um, big uptick in uh, uh, demand for our seltzer packaged brands in the in the on-premise. 
I hope I got all of that, Brian. Yeah, no, that's that's great. It's helpful perspective. Thanks, Gavin. Thanks. The next question is from Rob Rob Ottenstein with Evercore. Please go ahead. Great, great. First, just a quick follow up, and then the main question. So, just wondering, kind of where where you are uh, in terms of the current run rate in the U.S. on STRs. Uh, you know, they're kind of running down low double digit in the scanner data, but obviously the on-premise is offsetting that. So just, just trying to get a sense of where the business actually is, that, that would be helpful. Uh, and, and then my main question really is, is, is on the hard seltzers, Gavin. Um, you know, it, it sounds like you're doing better than expected with Topo Chico, better than expected with Vizzy. Uh, do you have maybe increased confidence that you'll get to that double digit share of the category? Uh, by the end of the year. Uh, and then you also referenced some work that you're doing on the international side uh, with hard seltzers. How, um, I mean, how do you see those European markets developing uh, for hard seltzers? Do you think there's a chance it can be as big as it is in the U.S., or is it you know, very different given a different consumer? Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Um, okay, let me take the, uh, the first question first. Um, Look, we, as you know, we don't normally give these updates anymore, but I, I think given the cybersecurity um, incident, I'll, I'll make an exception and give you, give you some, some flavor for how April's, um, how April's uh, going. You know, you, you, you referenced scanner data. I mean, obviously that needs context, right? I mean, the four-week data, um, scanner data, is, is including that massive load-in that we had in the off in the off-premise uh, from March of, uh, of, last, of last year. And so it doesn't take into account any shift into the, into the on-premise. Um, you know, over the last four weeks, our sales to retailers um, in the United States are up with single digits, um, Rob, so quite different to uh, what you're seeing in the scanner data. Uh, we're shipping over a million barrels a week in, in the USA, as I said in my, in my prepared remarks. And, you know, the UK volumes um, up double digits, um, despite only, as I said, 30 to 40 percent of, of, of on-premise being open, um, and only for for um, outdoor dining. Uh, your second question around around Celsius, you know, um, heading towards our, our, our goal of, of of double digits or 10 percent by the by the end of the year. I mean, you, you, you're right. I mean, we had a spectacular launch of of Topo Chico in the very limited markets in, in, in which it's, it's in. It's only in 16 uh, markets. So I think we've got a clear winner here. Um, it will continue to fuel the potential of this, of, this, of this brand. And, you know, based on the reaction in those 16 markets, I think it's got strong uh, national uh, potential. Um, and we'll look to roll that out um, to future markets uh, when, we, when we're confident that we can meet the, you know, Unexpectedly very high demand that we had in this in its rollout markets. Um, you're right on Vizzy. I, I think we, we we believe we have a, a real winner uh, with Vizzy. I won't I won't repeat the stats I just gave. I think it was to um, to Brian or or Kevin. But you know, I, I think uh, particularly exciting for us is the fact that Vizzy Lemonade is the second fastest turning uh, lemon lemonade seltzer. And as I said, we had a record sales week uh, for 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 Vizzy. Uh, uh, last year, um, you know, we've pleased the performance. We had a singular skew last year. We only launched in April, and we had um, inventory challenges. Well, we're meeting um, all the demand for Vizzy uh, now that we've got the, um, the capacity up and running in our in our Fort Worth uh, Fort Worth brewery. So, if that means that we're more confident to get to our 10% uh, target, we, we certainly think we've got the brands um, in the Celsius space. Uh, to do that, and, and, and now we need to execute. Uh, you know, I think that early data in the in, in the European market um, suggests that Seltzer is going to is going to be good. I'm not sure yet that I'm ready to tell you that it's going to be as good in the as, as it is in the United States. We don't have any data to support that, but you know, certainly uh, threefolds has landed well in the in the United Kingdom, and and Y is already in a couple of markets in Central and Eastern Europe, and we'll be rolling it out more fully towards the um, uh, in, in, in this month. So I hope that helps, Rob. Great. Thank you, Gavin. The next question is from Bonnie Herzog with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I um, just wanted to quickly circle back 
to the cost pressures you're facing this year. I know you you guys touched on this, but you know maybe you could just give us a little more color on how you expect this will evolve through the balance of the year, and really, you know, what are some of the key levers that you have to mitigate some of these pressures? You know, maybe touch on a little bit further on any kind of hedging you have in place, and then I'd love to hear how you're thinking about pricing as a potential lever to offset some of these cost pressures. Thanks. Now, Bonnie, so I'll, I'll take the, um, you know, the cost question. So um, our underlying COGS in the quarter increased 5.6%, and 470 basis points of that uh, was inflation, with just under half of that related to um, the transportation. So, uh, you know, as, as, I think everyone knows the freight market was really tight. We we spoke about this in Q4, and we said we expected to continue to be um, tight in, in Q1. Uh, it did start showing improvements in January and the beginning of February, but then that changed with all the winter storms, and, and that caused major disruptions to the entire transportation network. So, um, you know, we expect to continue to see uh, that tightening in the freight market. And then as it relates to us, um, you know, sourcing cans from four continents is also actually added to, to that inflation. Um, in terms of levers to, to mitigate that, um, you know, I did mention our cost savings program. Um, so we, we delivered 270 million of the 600 million um, in 2020. We expect to uh, deliver the balance of that um, in 2021 and 2022, roughly in, in equal portions. Um, and we're doing um, so far. We we're we tracking um, well to achieve those those savings, and the majority of those cost savings are focused on on COGS. So, in addition to to the cost savings program, um, as you mentioned, we 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 have um, really robust hedging programs. We hedge all our commodities um, where we can. I don't want to get into the detail of of um, you know how we hedge, but but our hedging programs are um, robust, and and that will help to mitigate some of the inflationary pressure, um, you know, that we are seeing. Trace, on the, and then thanks, Trace. On the revenue side, uh, uh, Bonnie, look, in terms of pricing, we don't give uh, forward pricing guidance. Um, you know, rather than using pricing to offset uh, our COGS, we've got hedging programs in place, which Tracy uh, mentioned, and uh, we have uh, the cost savings programs in place as well. And I don't know, Trace, did you mention the fact that our guidance uh, does actually include any any cost um, any cost pressures uh, which which we may have. We've we factored that into the guidance which Tracy gave earlier on. Thanks, Bonnie. Thank you. Helpful. The next question is from Sean King with UBS. Please go ahead. Great. Thanks for the question. Um, yeah, a, a broader question about um, a distributor receptivity to some of the beyond beer move that you're making. Like, how has that impacted the, your relationships with distributors? And then a second question on top of that would just be any, any update you can provide on progress with the Yingling JV. Thanks, Sean. Um, yeah, look, my excitement on Zoa got ahead of me when I was answering a Sopa Chica question earlier er, earlier on. Um, Zoa has been extraordinarily well received by retailers by, um, and by distributors alike. And, uh, you know, we've got a very strong partner um, in uh, Dwayne Johnson. He's not just a celebrity partnership. He's, he's actually an owner of the business uh, together with us. Um, and, you know, frankly, every time he puts something out on Instagram, he reaches 231 million uh, followers in a, in a nanosecond. Um, he... The true test of, of, of how innovation lands is what do the distributors order? I mean, you know, we just had our order window for the very first order um, close. I think it was either last night or the night before. And the orders are strong, and that tells you how the distributors uh, feel about it. The retailers are particularly excited about it as, as well. So, you know, we're just getting into the market uh, with it with it now, so I don't want to get ahead of myself, but, you know, where it has been in the market with uh, some of the Vitamin stores and, 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 and GNC and online, um, it's, it's been, it, the, the results are, are tremendous. So, you know, short story, very excited about Zoa um, on a, from a retailer and a, and a, and a supplier and consumer uh, point of view. Uh, Luck alone, uh, we've already hit our distribution targets. We, we had distribution targets with our, with our, our partner, Luck alone, uh, that, was, that was set for the full year, and, and we're, in, we're, in, we're in April, and we've, and we've hit them. So, 
um, that is a, is a is an illustration of how distributors have executed in um, in C stores and the and and the drug chain. So, you know, short answer is uh, very good, uh, Sean. Uh, from a Yingling point of view, a tremendous amount of work is, has gone into getting that ready to launch in the fall of of, of this year in in Texas. They've made uh, tremendous progress. Uh, the, the joint venture hiring um, um, folk, uh, setting up the distributor relationships. Awarding the, the the brand to the to the various distributors um, in Texas and gaining uh, commitments, talking to the chains. So, you know, I would say we're um, we're we're exactly where we thought we'd be uh, with the England joint venture. Great, thank you very much. All the best. Thanks, Sean. The next question is from Camille um, Jarawala with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Hi, everybody. Thanks for taking the question. A question on, on Celsius and guidance perhaps together and then Celsius and profitability. In your guide for mid-single digits for the full year, what are you incorporating for the contribution for Celsius? I've heard a lot of positive comments, but uh, how big do you expect it to be? Is it big enough? Is it a point of the five points? Um, is it three? If you could maybe just give some context on how you're thinking about it there. And then how should we think about profits and the impact on profits uh, from many of these products, as you mentioned, Zoa, obviously there's you know, more than one owner there with Topo Chico. You're owning with Coke and uh, rolling it out. Can you just maybe give us a, a context on maybe if the revenue contribution looks different from the profit contribution? Thank you. Well, look, Carl, um, I'm not going to break down the um, break down the, the sort of brand contribution to our to our NSR. I'll give you two points though. One is that um, our seltzers and our, uh, almost all of our innovation operates in the above premium space, um, and some in the super premium space, and some of our innovation actually operates even above the super premium uh, space. Uh, there's a lot of profit to go around for, for both ourselves, for our suppliers, for distributors, and, 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 and for retailers. These are all above premium brands, and um, you know they're all going to contribute uh, to the to the bottom line over over time. So. Um, as far as, as, as contribution to NSR is concerned, I mean, essentially we had, we had one brand in the market for eight months of the year last year with, with Vizy, and, you know, I think we ex exited the last, uh, exited the year at a, close to a full share of, of, of Celsius. Um, you know, well, we're, 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 we're closer to seven share now than we were at, at a four share. Um, you know, we've got the plans, we've, we've got the, the marketing muscle to put behind ourselves as, uh, for the balance of the year. I'm not going to be repetitive and bore you on all the um, excitement around around Busy and both uh, Topa Chica. Proof points just launched into the into the market, so that these these brands are coming off a off a fairly low base from a contribution point of view in 2020 to our business, and and so we would expect them to be a much more meaningful contribution to our business in 2021. I hope that's helpful, Colonel. Got it. Thank you. The next question is from Lauren Lieberman with Barclays. Please go ahead. Hi. Sorry. I'll, I'll keep it tight. Um, my question was just on cybersecurity um, and just thinking about go-forward costs, um, investments you might need to make to kind of shore up your systems. I know, you know, the company has been through several years of very, very, you know, tight times and so just thinking about the degree to which maybe there's been some underinvestment um, and there's a need to kind of catch up and, and the degree to which that's kind of already factored into this year and next year's you know, thought process on spend. Thanks. Yeah, so just in terms of uh, the Benny start of the cyber incident, in, in Q1, we, um, as we said in our earnings release, we did incur a net expense of, of $2 million um, as it related to uh, you know, various consultants and, and experts that, that helped us um, and are helping us with the investigation. Actually, I actually don't want to talk too much about it because it still is an open investigation um, around around the incident. But, you know, just in terms of, of investment, um, you, you know, we, we have spent a significant amounts of CapEx upgrading our systems in, in North America. Um, you know, we've spoken about U.S. Um, for a number of years, our BPNF systems. Um, and at this stage, um, we are also upgrading um, our systems for Canada, where we're actually taking the Canadian systems and putting it onto our U.S. systems. 
So, um, you know, more than more than that, um, Lauren, I you know, I don't, really don't want to give because it is an open investigation. Just in terms of, of Q2, though, as it relates specifically to the incident, um, we do, do anticipate some further minimal, really immaterial costs um, as we as we sort of put it put this to bed. Okay, that's thanks. great. Thank, thanks so much. Thanks, Lauren. This concludes our question and answer session. I'd like to turn the conference back over to Gavin Hattersley for any closing remarks. Thanks, Debbie, and uh, thanks everybody for participating in our call. Look, there may be additional technical questions which you have, and you know, please feel free to follow up with our with our investor relations uh, team. And you know, we look forward to talking with many of you as the as the year uh, progresses. So, with that, thanks everybody for participating in today's call, and have a great day. The conference is now concluded. Thank you for attending today's presentation. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.